And now, from the news desk at IBGR.news, this is William Eastman giving you the evening report here in North America or the morning report in Sydney, Australia. I'll explain that in just a minute. Let's get started with today's news. You need to go to the website, IBGR.news. That's IBGR.news. When you get there, let me tell you a few things that you can find here so that you can navigate easily. Uh, We have the typical banner, and uh, right there you see the number one business talk number one global business talk and news network doesn't say on the internet but that uh, is assumed and the reason I can say that we we can say that here at IBGR.news is that we get the top rating of all of the websites that do this right below that you see a navigation bar that will take you all around the IBGR network now what's our relationship to the IBGR network pretty simple pretty simple and that is what we do here is we provide the basis of the information that a business owner needs to start, grow, or exit the business. And so what happens is that if you look at it, it's a three-step process. One is you need information. Uh, making good business decisions is like having good health. You are what you eat. Well, the same thing is, as a business owner, you are what data you consume. We try to provide that information to you. Then the IBGR network itself, what it does 24 hours or now, 23 hours a day, seven days a week, is it provides you with insights and tools to take advantage of that information. All right, if you go a little bit lower, scroll on down, that will take you through our broadcast schedule. And what happens here is twice a day, we have one hour news, the first the first half hour at the top of the hour, as they would say in radio, comes from Startup Radio or StartupRed.io, and that is delivered by our partners in Germany, and it's conversation about what's going on the latest on the German and European tech startup scene. And then at the bottom of the hour, our 30 minutes, the 30 minutes that you're having right now, talks about more general information and what are the trends out there. Now, if you want to know what time we're going to be broadcasting live, uh, we have uh, we use Sydney, Mumbai, Greenwich, and New York as our reference times, and you can see the times in front of you right there. All right, let's scroll down. And uh, the first story I'm going to be looking for is from IT Craft. MVP software development. Follow the bootstrap processes or practices of the top companies. Okay, so let's go down one panel, two panels, three panels. And on the right-hand side, what is MVP development for software and websites? Now, the reason I picked this, you would say, well, what has that got to do with anything? Uh, because it's software. Well, trust me, this is a f- this story is far bigger and far more than software. Now they're talking about the MVP process with software manufacturers, but this is something that everybody can use. Now, IT Craft obviously is talking to the software market. Now MVP is minimally viable product. Now you could substitute service if what you're providing people is a service, so that would be MVS does it matter is that what this talks about is how do I bring out something that is a bare bone first offer not second or third offer not a re-engineered product or service but the first time I go to market because what am I concerned with well I'm concerned with two things that I'm trying to deal with number one is do I have a match between what our offer does and what the needs of our target customers have then number two, I'm going to take a look at the market timing. Now, market timing, I'm going to put aside. I'm just going to focus on what I call the need 
uh, uh, offer match. Now, if you scroll down on this, there's a great little graph here. I've never seen it presented like this, and that's why I went with the story. As you scroll down, um, Eric Reese, author of Lean Startup, gives the following advice. And somehow, you know, I read Lean Startup, this got by me. So what he said here is look at this in four phases. Number one is you invent a product that's got all the whistles, all the bells. It's got everything, okay? That's what you initially want to do. On the other hand, introducing that can be tricky because of all the things that you have to do to not only produce it and sell it, but also support it. All right, so he says, number two, cut half of the product functions out for now, the ones that are non-core, okay? Then he says, number three is cut out half of the remaining functions one more time. And what you should have is that at the very end, you should have the remaining pieces absolutely the core of the offer. Now, the other way of looking at that, and if you listen to any of my shows, especially the one I've been doing this week on Tuesdays on building your own consulting firm, and we've talked about this idea of building a value ladder, here's exactly where you go, and that is the invented product, the whole thing. Step one, as you can see that pie chart, is your level three Cadillac Mercedes Rolls-Royce offer that you put a price premium on. And when you get all the way to the end, the one that's that little slice of the pie that's left, that is your level one offer. That's the one that you're going to try to get out there. You're going to get users on it. You're going to get people playing with it, buying it. You're going to establish some cash flow around it. But also, what you're really doing is you're building a relationship and testing the market. And it's the middle offer is the one that you want to sell onto. Now, since we're not doing a we're not doing a uh, session on building a value ladder, but I thought that was really prophetic how that was put together. And again, I read uh, Lean Startup a number of years ago, and I don't recall seeing that, but that's a that's a nice way of looking at it. Okay, so our second story. Now, what we're going to have to do is you're going to have to scroll down today because uh, one of the challenges we have is, again, the uh, situation in Afghanistan is pushing out a lot of news and so what's happening is a lot of the things we have on here, even though we try to prevent them from showing up, are showing up. And so if you scroll on down and uh, you can see the track of the hurricane and right below that, you'll see receive the newsletter and it says subscribe. So here's what this is about. And by the way, this is also on the navigation bar above. This, this electronic newspaper basically comes out twice a day. There are two editions. There's a morning edition and an evening edition. And depending upon where you are, it's morning or evening to you. But that's relative. Sydney and New York have kind of got it backwards, okay? What happens is that twice a day, we built an algorithm. Twice a day, it goes out and searches for news around starting, growing, or exiting a business. And then focuses on our market areas. Looking for stories out of Australia or New Zealand or the Philippines or Singapore or India or Nigeria United Kingdom, United States, etc. It's more than that, but that gives you some example. And it finds those stories and brings them in. And what we do then is we curate that. So every day, twice a day, there's 100 news feeds coming in here. And my job is to go through that. Now, what you'll get here is a newsletter is telling you, yes, it's been refreshed. Here are a couple stories. The stories you receive are randomized. So it's not as if we know you and we're saying, okay, these are the only stories that you're interested in. Uh, we're not there yet. Okay, so if you give me an email address, here's my promise. The only thing you'll get because of that email address is twice a day notification newsletter. And the newsletter will say, hey, the newspaper has been refreshed. Now, right below that, 
you'll see load more, 85, and we don't give you all 100 feeds at one time. We uh, space it out. So if you click that, the next story that we're looking for is from um, is on buying, okay, buying new, used, or leasing automobiles. It's not an obvious decision. Now, the reason I'm doing this has nothing to do with buying automobiles. So let's go down one panel, two panels, uh, three panels, four. Five. You'll see it on the right-hand side. On the left-hand side, you get Africa's mobile money boom, and I would do that story. However, I have already, and number two is that I'm focusing on the Australian or Australasia and uh, South South Asian markets, Indian subcontinent. And so, if you open this article up, and by this, and this is by Jalapi, I'll just go Jalapi next okay because that's the old term for cars is that what this is a story about is number one on the surface what you're seeing here is a decision that business owners need to make now i i can tell you the advice that i would give before i get into the story is that you never spend hard cash on uh anything uh, that uh, that is not an asset that produces value or appreciates over time. That's just a bad move. On the other hand, you have to have vehicles. And so maybe leasing is a better choice for you or buying used, buying new, I, I don't know about. But you see what this story really is, is we're taking a look at what's been going on now with the car market. And that is we got the law of supply and demand operating, is that there is such a shortage of chips out there that a number of the car manufacturers really aren't producing new cars that you can buy. Uh, the report that we talked about, we read out last week, I think it was the 30% Toyota has cut their production by 30%. Why? Because they can't sell the car. I've seen a number of pictures of the Ford plant in Dearborn, Michigan, with all these cars piled up, ready to be sold, except they're missing some chips. So what is really happening here is because of the chip shortage, there is a shortage of new cars. So what's going to happen as we've had suppressed demand because of the pandemic and now people are going you know i really got to get a vehicle let's go get one and what's happening is that now suddenly used cars used cars have rose in value i was looking at a used car the other day potentially of buying one and it was the price on it was ridiculous in terms of compared to new or compared to the older car that i'm driving and so, great story. If you ever wanted to see the law of supply and demand in operation, there is it. Oh, yeah, Jalapenik. Yeah, that's the name of it, Jalopies. All right, so it's a good article. And, it look, and of course, if you're a business owner trying to make that decision, um, there's a great, it, 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 a pretty good article about balancing out the three, but that's not why I did it. And by the way, where I'm at right now is a business willies. All right, let's scroll down. Now, we're going to have to go down uh, a number of panels, and we're going to load a few more. As I said, we had uh, it was a tight news day. So go down one panel, two panels, and then you'll see load more. 69, click that. And then the story that we're looking for now is one that says why U.S.-based startups should screen top talent from Australia. And since we're trying to do Australian news, hey, that's really good. So go down one panel, two panels, and in the middle 
Uh, and by the way, on the left-hand side, it says Americans are more and more dependent on big government. Uh, things are never going back to normal. That is a very distressing story if you want to read it. Uh, by the way, it's true. So the next one is why is U.S.-based startups should screen Tom Town in Australia? Go ahead and click that one. That's a really good story. And so here's some things. I'll, I'll read a couple passages from it, and then we'll get into some commentary around the idea. Uh, by the way, I am totally on board for the story. A startup is built around an idea that involves a lot of dreaming. By definition, a startup is launched when a number, a small number of people who are very dedicated to the project and do their best to come up with original solutions to create a new business model. Okay, no, not much to disagree with there. Unfortunately, only half of the U.S. startups manage to stay on the market for five years, and only one in 200 makes it to the next stage of growth becoming a scale-up. Now, they're using different terminology than we use, but right on. What do you need to know to, to grow your business? A good business plan and lots of new people. One way American startups can achieve this is to tap into new markets and bring people uh, coming from diverse cultures such as Australia. Okay, so what is the advantages of looking for top talent in Australia? First of all, Australians a fairly similar education system and graduates uh, there have at least the same skills as U.S. graduates. My guess would be because of the current state of the uh, U.S. education system and that the graduates out of Australia actually may be uh, high, more highly skilled. On the other hand, uh, oh, it goes on to say that. The other hand, the other two, uh, the two school systems are identical, so there may be additional skills you won't find among U.S. graduates. That is true because one of the things that is wrong with the U.S. system is we are teaching people what to think. We are not teaching people or helping them develop how to think. All right, so the language barrier, uh, the company won't have to take, uh, the individual won't have to uh, take an English proficiency test. And in terms of pay, uh, I think the Australian dollar's pay is right now trading at about 1.33 to the U.S. dollar, so it's a little bit less, okay? Now, I'm not going to get into the story gets into how to find Australian employees. What I will say, and the reason I'm a supporter of that is that right now, a vast number of the key players at IBGR Network are Australians. We have um, outsourced our marketing function, function uh, to a company called Crisp & Co. out of Adelaide, and um, they're handling our marketing. In fact, uh, the person who's the president of that company, Richard Miller, is our head of marketing. Then what we have is we have talent development, and we have a gentleman who is out of Melbourne, Australia, Steve Sweeney, who handles that. And so now we have some Indian talent in and we have people from Singapore. But the idea is, is that there's no reason in the remote world we're at that you're going to be limited to where you go for talent. I think you've got to go where the talent is. And uh, Australia would be an excellent pick. Uh, and of course, especially if you were doing some sort of service center, uh, because one of the challenges is being able to speak English and being able to provide customer service is really two different things and I know I get sometimes frustrated when I'm having customer service operator on and they're in the Philippines or they're in India yes they speak English but it can be challenging some days okay and we'll leave it at that all right the next story we're looking for but we're gonna have to load more uh, screens let's go down one panel two panels three panels four and load more at 53 if you click that the one we're looking for 
is one bank's non-transitory inflation meter just had hit a new record high. And this is an article by Zero Hedge. So let's go down one, two. Oh, look at that. Krispy Kreme is going to have to raise the price of donuts. Uh, well, everything's going up. All right, so three panels, four panels. Uh, not a bad article. We've done this one before, before we go any further. And it's the one where you see kind of like a happy faces. Why building a relationship with your customers is a matter of survival for startups. Pretty obvious is that you've got to get people to buy something that doesn't have a track record. So you're going all the way down to where you see on the left-hand side, where you see the one bank's non-transitory inflation beater. And on the right-hand side, you see Bidenflation. Uh, you know, hit on Joe Biden. We're not going to do that one. So if you open up one banks and you open up the zero head article, um, I'll read a little bit of that to you, but I think it's pretty much what you're, you're probably figuring out the last time you went to the store. Okay, two months ago, uh, uh, zero head reported on the Bank of America just released a new proprietary indicator of tracking uh, the level of transitory inflation. Okay which incidentally has the highest possible reading of 100. And by the way, that's what they came up with. Of course, since it's only gotten worse in the core PCE, which is which is the, uh, the consumers making uh, buying decision. In fact, this is the personal consumption extend, uh, expenditures price index. It's gone up about 60% since March of this year. Okay, so that's how much that is going up right now in the marketplace. So let me get to the issue here. In other words, persistent non-transitory inflation. Now, transitory, let's kind of split this up because sometimes the language gets convoluted. You know, you get, you get, I'll, I'll, I'll use language I don't agree with. You get two types of inflation. You get inflation because of you had the lockdown, the pandemic, and then what happened was uh, supplies were pulled down, demand went up, people wanted something, there wasn't much of it, and it drove up the price. I don't call that inflation in prices. That's that's kind of supply and demand issue, but they do. Okay, we'll go with that. That would be the transitory because then as the price shoots up, it's a signal to other people to produce, supply more, warehouse, and get it in. And then the price will go back and it'll equalize around some what we could consider fair market value. Non-transitory, uh, is in fact in the true inflation and true inflation is when a country a central bank publishes prints too much money and the excess money into the market actually reduces the value of the dollar so if, if it's an australian dollar or american dollar if it bought a dollar's worth a year ago today it's buying 90 cents worth and that's the inflation that they're talking about okay so to get a more complete picture of the current inflation dynamics, last month Bank of America revised its transitory inflation meters uh, with uh, with their particular uh, technique, and to their surprise, it soared to 75 in June from 37 in March. Now that's not relative to you, but think about it this way: a 37 to a 75 is a doubling. What the metrics the metrics don't matter in this particular case in terms of what they're measuring. What it does say is what they're measuring has doubled since March of this year. And that is really, really a major issue, okay? And so I'm going to conclude this with what you all of you know. Fast forward to today and the latest BOA reading, both transitory and persistent inflation meters show that what everybody knew, both series hit record highs 
with transitory inflation at the highest possible reading of 100, while the sticky persistent inflation rose from 75 to 90, which is the highest on record. And so basically, on their method of measuring, it only has 10 more points to go up. If it goes up 10 more percent and the other goes down, what they're basically saying is you have, in their metrics, you have a doubling. And that is not good news uh, for the United States, not good news for the rest of the world. All right, so now the last one I've got is another Australian story, which actually is a good one. So if you'll get back on IBGR.news, you scroll down a little bit more and it says load more and the number would be 37. The answer is yes. And the one we're looking for is rare metals. Where and how will we get the materials and metals to feed our future tech needs? This is huge and nobody is taking this into account. Let's go down one, two, uh, three, four, five. On the right-hand side, you'll see in the middle, you'll see India's opportunity in blockchain. And uh, I had to choose between the two, but I think this rare metals one deserves much more conversation. So if you click that and open it, and what this is really about is which countries produce the most rare metals, right? And so let me give you an idea here, because then you can see the geopolitics of this. The top 10 countries for rare earth metal production. Uh, number one is China, okay, by a significant amount. Uh, number two is the United States. Okay, so for example, uh, China produced when we group them all together, because there's a bunch of metals in here, and I'm going to separate them out, say, from copper to rare earth, because some of the rare earth ones you've never heard of, even in your, uh, even in your chemistry or geology classes in uh, high school or college, you didn't. You didn't hear about any of these metals, okay? China produced 140,000 metric tons. The United States is second with 38,000. Miramar, or Burma, was third with 30,000, and you know how unstable that is. Now, here's the good news. Australia, 17,000. Now, compared to China, they're producing a little, you know, what? about 10%, about 90% less. They're 10% of what China's producing. But the story with Australia is that most of those have not been mined. In fact, one of the areas I'm not giving, by the way, I'm not giving you investment advice. That would be the wrong thing to do. But what I have been watching are a couple Australian companies because what do you think is going to happen when, if the situation between China and the rest of the world, predominantly the United States, gets worse? Because rare earth metals are absolutely required for the manufacture of anything high-tech. One example is the Biden administration, I think, mandated, which is what governments always do. They never look at the, the engineering or the impact of it. They just think, well, if we write a law, it'll just become true, that they're outlawing all gasoline or petrol-driven engines, whether it's gasoline or diesel, in 2035. That means every car on the road in the United States has to be electric. Well, guess what? We don't have, we don't have enough power. We don't have the grid. We don't have the materials to produce it. Whether that's cobalt, whether that's copper, whether that's some of the more rare or esoteric ones, we don't have any of that. We don't have enough of it. And the issue is, is that in the United States, it's not that it hasn't been mined, is that we just, you know, just like some countries have a lot of gold and diamonds like South Africa, we don't have it. 
On the other hand, Australia has it, and this may be a, one of the great plays for the Australian, Australian economy, is to mine that. Now, some of these, obviously, you've got some environmental issues. You have tailings. Some of these are slightly radioactive. Okay, so all that has to be taken into consideration. But what a great opportunity for Australia to get out there. So, okay, so here, here's some parts of the article. China is very much keeping a, monop a monopoly over rare earths, said uh, Dr. Lefebvre. If they want to constrain supply, they could. There have been other countries that have done stuff like that, like no kidding. Uh, but across China and Inner Mongolia, the rare earth mining has left behind toxic tailings, dams, and evaporation ponds. In some cases, they have overflowed into waterways and leached into groundwater. So, like with anything, there's risk. There are significant rare earth reserves in Australia. And if any of you track stocks, there's two companies in and, uh, Australia I track because that's one of the things I want to know. If, uh, if anybody can uh, save the world here uh, from the Chinese just choking off the supply and you have to buy everything related to an electric economy or a non-carbon economy, you have to buy it from China. You can only imagine what that's going to look like. Although Australia has stricter environmental compliance than countries such as China, mining here can still have significant environmental impact, okay? So, let me see here. I think that probably hits it. Um, so, I believe that, yeah, there's nothing else I want to say about the Australian uh, rare earths. All right, so let me see here where we are in time. And we are currently, uh, we got a bit of minute 40 left to us. That's about right. So, this is what we do twice a day. I get this and I spend about an hour going through the list and I curate it and go to what news on here is worth reading. And my goal, when we started this in May, the goal was to give you hot current information. Well, the reality is that that's not really happening in our data searches. But what is happening, which is interesting, is that we're actually doing market research for, for your businesses. For small businesses, we're doing the market research that you may not have the time or take the time to do because what we're learning here is what is going on and what are the trends in the world. And so pay attention to this rare earth. And if you're an investor and you're liking to buy some stock into something that has a great upside, I'm not giving you any advice right here, but I would look very hard at the rare earth market. Now, Canada's got some supply, but I really believe from everything that I've read is that Australia is probably one of the better places to be right now. And this could be a real boon to the Australian economy. Uh, the other thing is, is that the trend here on inflation is you're, we're almost to the point where you can say that a contraction is coming. I've already believed that, but I haven't come out and said it. All right, so you've been listening to IBGR.news. This is our, our twice a day, one hour news source. And so we spent two hours out of our out of our 24 talking strictly about news around the world. My name is William Eastman coming to you from the news desk. Have a great day.